We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 3 for our scripture reading this morning at a message I call Justified Freely. Justified Freely. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely, there it is, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, we are right in the middle of solid, incredible gospel truth. And I can say, like the Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 15, he said, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You see, we labor under a divine imperative to preach the gospel. We preach the gospel to lost people, people who don't know God, people who are living their lives far from God, and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear about the fact that Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross of Calvary to give them eternal life. We preach the gospel to lost people. We also preach the gospel to save people. You might notice that most of those statements that I quoted, in fact, all of them were, were either to the church at Rome or to the church at Corinth. And if you looked at it, you'd see that Paul talked a lot to those two churches about preaching the gospel uh, to those who were at Rome. Though they were already believers, to those at Corinth, though already believers, yet they needed to hear the gospel. I want to remind you this morning that if we ever find ourselves off-center a little bit in our Christian life, feeling like we're leaning a little bit or, or maybe out of balance, we find ourselves uh, somehow wandering in a place and we don't really know how we got here, where we are. We feel like uh, we're disconcerted somehow. Uh, listen, the only way we can reorient ourselves in that kind of situation is by thinking and considering the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a star called Polaris. It's known better as the North Star. If you don't know where it is, it'll do you good to find out where it is because it's a precious thing. It's just like a, as steady as a sunrise. It's there every night. There's the North Star. Many a night I've been out in the woods and the North Star has shown me how I needed to go in order to get out. Uh, if you can find north, then you know that way's west. And if that's the way the truck is, then you can head that way. You can orient yourself. Uh, even when you're disoriented in the darkness, if you know which direction is north. You say, well, Brother Rich, they have a compass. I know, I know. Uh, well, you know, you can do that on your phone. I, I know that too. I understand. But long before there was phones or compasses, God's people, people of all generations had oriented themselves by the North Star. I want you to know today, for the Christian, the gospel is our North Star. It shows us where we are. It tells us which way we need to go because everything about our life is oriented to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach the gospel, not just to lost people, but to save people too. We need the gospel. 
In our consideration of Romans chapter 3 today, we understand that this passage is a conclusion, if you will, to a long discussion that began all the way back in Romans chapter 1 and continued on through chapter 2. He began with the non-Jewish people of the world, known in Scripture as the Gentiles. Uh, That's everybody who isn't Jewish. And he speaks of those at a time when they knew God. And he may very well in his mind have been going all the way back to the flood and after the flood. When everybody knew God because uh, that, that just was the way it was. Everybody who came out of the ark knew who God was. But more likely it was that Paul was thinking in his mind about how that all of us have some awareness of the reality of God. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day after day utter speech, night after night it gives knowledge. And Paul brought that exact thing up in Romans chapter 1 and how that sinful man had hit the mute button on the creation. And instead of listening to that message proclaimed by the creation day after day, and night after night saying there is a God he is all powerful he is all knowing because he has made all of these things instead of listening to that message they hit the mute button and changed the glory of God into an image made like unto four footed beast and even creeping crawling critters that's humanity He moved from there then to the Jews who in spite of the fact that they were God's chosen people, in spite of the fact that they had the prophets and the law and all the revelation of God, they too were lost. They were under sin. Therefore, when he considered, looked back over the sinful past of humanity, he goes on in Romans 3.25 to say this, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness Because in forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time, that was Paul's now, the the now, the present time, his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. You see, before Jesus came, God, Paul said, had passed over sins. And that was a word that his Jewish audience would have immediately recognized. (laughs) Because it goes back to their highest and holiest day, the day of Passover. It commemorated the time when God was bringing them out of Egyptian bondage. And the sentence of death was passed over all the land, was given to all the land. And yet God gave the promise to his people that they'd take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost on the side of the door. God says, I'll see the blood and I'll pass over you. That demonstrated that great Old Testament truth of the atonement, the covering, and how that God provided a covering for sin. He passed over sin. And every single one of those blood sacrifices pointed to the work of Jesus Christ. God passed over sin until something happened. And that something had happened in the present time, Paul said. God hath set forth Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins. No longer just a Passover. No longer just a covering. But now a propitiation paid in full. So we have this great declaration before us this morning, and that is that we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Do we look at that then as a believer in Christ and say, well, huh, uh, that's a done deal. Do we just turn away from that and say, well, I can go on and live my life. Got that taken care of, that's it. I want us to see this morning that our lives are forever changed. They are forever changed, literally eternally changed by the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins. We don't turn away from that and say, well, that's behind me now. Next thing. No, we never turn away from that. That is always in our hearts and always on our minds because of the incredible love that he has for us. And the incredible love we have for him. We're now a part of God's forever family. And we can have an unbroken and eternal relationship with him in Jesus Christ. Now that's the what. The what happens. We are justified freely. And what of what it is. We are justified freely. That's the what. The question is how. How does that happen? Here we are as guilty of sin as we can be. We are unquestionably, undeniably, irrefutably guilty of sin. Others don't know, but God knows. God knows every lie we ever told. God knows everything that we ever took that didn't belong to us. God knows every lustful thought that we ever had. God knows everything that we've ever done, everything that we've ever thought about doing. Nobody else knows. We may not even remember all ourselves, but God does. God does. God knows what we have done. And every sin is against him and against his holiness. So does God just look at us and say, that'll be all right. Can we just look at God and say, my bad. And God say, it's okay. Is that the way it works? God could not just say, well, you're a rotten sinner, but I'm going to declare you sinless and call it good. Paul, you see, has brought up that exact issue when he talks about how God could be both just and the justifier of them that believe on Jesus Christ. If we are unquestionably, undeniably guilty before God of sin, and we are, then how can God be a holy God and call us sinless? How can it happen? You say, God can do whatever he wants. Well, yeah, but God can do whatever he wants in that sense and still remain a just and holy God. That's exactly what he said. God had to be just. That is, he had to satisfy his justice. But God is also a God of love, which means he had to move in love. One preacher described it as being like a a dilemma because on the one hand, God's holiness demands that he punish sin. But his love demands that he pardon it. How is this going to be settled? How can it happen then that a holy God could declare us to be righteous? Well, that is the essence of this gospel passage today. We've got the what? Justified freely. That means God looks at every sin that we've ever committed and says those are forgiven. And not only that, God doesn't forgive like we forgive a lot of times where we're going to forgive them this week, but bring it back up next week. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a bring it back up again God? No. 
It's as though they never happened. Our sins are gone through Jesus Christ. We are freely and fully justified, declared righteous according to law. How? I may be talking today to somebody that's tuning in at home and maybe you hadn't been to church in years. Maybe you've never gone. Maybe you don't even like Christian people. You think you've got an idea about what the Christian message is, but I want to tell you, if you've never looked seriously at Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, then you really don't know the essence of the Christian faith and message. Because this passage tells us that God has set forth Jesus Christ as a propitiation by His blood through faith. That brothers and sisters, is the essence, the operational truth of the gospel. The what is easy, justified freely, declared righteous freely, forgiven freely, sins gone freely. That's the what. How? Three words. Propitiation. Blood and faith. So that as God hath set before us Jesus Christ today, it's my goal in this service to set before all of us Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins. What's that word mean? Well, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 says here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hebrews 2, 17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, in the Old Testament economy, the priests would offer a sacrifice for the people for their sins. It was called a sin offering. But it was not possible for the blood of bulls and of goats, two of the most commonly used animals, uh, to take away sin. Jesus came then as both our faithful high priest and as the sacrifice because he could do what nobody else could do, and that is he could offer himself as the final sacrifice for our sins. So that the writer of the book of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What that means is that Jesus Christ paid the price, and he paid it once for all. Once for all, he paid the price for sin. That's important because God has a settled hostility and a seething antagonism uh, toward all sin. And it's perhaps best revealed in Proverbs 21 and verse 4 where the Bible says, A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Here's a farmer out in the field plowing his field. He's doing a good thing. He's making a living for his family. He's providing food for his family. He's just out there plowing his field. But there's something else going on while he's plowing that field. He's proud of what he's done. He's looking at his accomplishments and thinking about it. Maybe he's got a little arrogant because he's got a haughty look on him. And that is the nature of humanity. Whatever we do that's good, we're proud of doing it. 
But the fact is that God in heaven looks down upon that man, a farmer out there plowing his field. He doesn't know God. He doesn't believe in God. Doesn't care anything about God. He's out there plowing his field. I'm a good man. I'm working hard. I'm providing for myself. I'm making a good living. God looks at it all and all he sees is pride all over it. The prophet says that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. That is, even the good things that we try to do in order to make ourselves look better or to help ourselves, if we're trying to, uh, uh, to fix ourselves or make ourselves right, God sees all of those things as sinful. We mess it up with our pride, our pride. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that we have all sinned against God and there is nothing that we can do no matter how we try to do it, no matter how right we try to be. And you can put anything in there. You can put the the, the truck driving of the wicked is a sin against God. The teaching of the wicked is a sin against God. No matter what it is, whatever profession it is, the engineering of an engineer is a sin against God. Anything that we're doing to try to say to ourselves, I'm a good person, I'm living a good life, I'm providing for my family, I'm a good man, I have done it my way, I'm a good woman, I have done it myself, I don't need God. God sees that pride in our hearts. And it is sinful, it makes everything about us sinful. You cannot, folks, I cannot, appease the wrath of God against sin. I've got good news for you today, and that is that Jesus Christ, that bloody spectacle of the gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ died on Calvary, that person Jesus Christ sin has been set forth as a propitiation of our sins, and that means that between your sins and a holy and righteous God stands Jesus Christ as our Savior and our substitute. That's the propitiation part. Then notice his blood. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. You know the creation of the heavens and the earth and all the universe was accomplished by the word of God. Hebrews eleven three. through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God didn't even work up, work up a sweat in the creation. He just said, let there be light. There it was. Didn't even work up a sweat. But in this matter of redemption, it was not just a matter of God speaking and saying it was done. It was not just somebody says, well, you mean God just says I'm all right and my sins are forgiven and every sin is wiped away and my guilt is gone and I'm forever his child because God said it. If you're thinking that, you've got a wrong view of the gospel. God created the universe by speaking it. But the gospel required the blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of your sin and mine required the shedding of blood. In fact, God has never had any way of dealing with sin except by the blood. And that's what Hebrews 9.22 says. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when man was plunged into sin and there they were putting fig leaves together to cover themselves. But God stepped in and killed an animal and provided them with that bloody skin and that covering, the shedding of blood. 
in the first worship service that is recorded for us in the Bible, Abel brought an offering of the flock, a lamb that was slain, while Cain brought the fruit of the ground, his potatoes and, and tomatoes. And he probably had English peas in there, I figure. I don't like English peas. That's why I said that. I, I could understand it if God rejected his English peas. Uh, the fact is, God rejected all of it. Why? Because it was the fruit of his own works. God had never had any plan from the very beginning for dealing with the sin of man but the shedding blood. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture. I could give you a hundred. This is just a few. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2, 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, Peter had said, You are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, received by your vain tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, The song of the redeemed, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The blood. In a practical sense, we must all admit that we've sinned. We've sinned before we're saved. We were saved and we've sinned after we were saved. Every lie, every lust, every evil thought, every evil deed, all of them are there. And one day you and I are going to stand before a holy and righteous God. Our sins are without question. They are indisputable. They are indefensible. We have sinned. Remember Jesus told us that there's an account, a record made of every idle word that we've spoken? How much more do you think there's a record of every evil deed and thought and our sins are real? But thank you, thank God, Jesus our Savior, when we stand before God, will be standing there with us. He stands there as our faithful high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. He stands there then with his hands and feet and his side and his back and on his head. They're the remnants of our redemption. Because when he went to the cross, we went with him. You went and you went and you went and you went. And the old, the old hymn that asked, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you were there and so was I. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives with me. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, then cleanses us from all sin. God has set forth Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. It is important for you and I as believers to remember that God did, just, did not just say, I'm going to forgive you. He did not just say, your sins are gone. There's more to it than that. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, your sins are gone. But we need to understand that God put Jesus before us, set him forth as the propitiation, the one who paid the price. And the price was his blood and suffering on Calvary. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. But now, Paul says, he has set forth him, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation 
by His blood through faith. You see, we're asking. We see the what, and the what is that we're freely justified. The question is how. The what, freely justified, justified freely. How? Propitiation by His blood through faith. It is not through the church. It is not through baptism. It is not through the offering of some penance, although many, many multitudes of people think there has to be something that I have to do to try to make up for my sins. Well, I want to tell you, you can recite a million Hail Marys, and it's not going to take away a single one of your sins. Can't do it. Because there's nothing that takes away sin except the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are told very clearly and very plainly in this passage of Scripture that this propitiation, the payment of the price for our sins, was by His blood, that is the precious blood of Christ, through faith. What do we do? We believe on Jesus Christ. We receive Him then as our Savior. Paul would go on to bring up God's great example of Abraham. And this is just a few verses down from uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. When we hear then the great message, that great gospel truth, that there is propitiation, that is one who paid the price, that that price is his blood, So that God has set forth Jesus Christ to stand between a holy God and a sinful man. When we hear that good news, our response is to believe. Now there are some who are trying to say that every time that I preach that, uh, that I'm preaching works for salvation. And you might be accused of that or have somebody come along where you believe in works because they want to act like believing is a work. But I want you to see Romans 4, 5. That is, it's right down in the text. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Believing is not a work. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. It is the very opposite of works. We don't try to be saved. We trust Jesus Christ. We believe on him and his faith is counted as salvation. The great truth of the gospel is that God has set forth Jesus as the propitiation, the price paid by His blood through our faith. And that is the operation, the how of the gospel. You've probably never heard of a guy named William Cowper. Uh, He lived in the 1700s. He was famous as a songwriter. He also struggled terribly with depression. He was isolated most of his life. Uh, It was in one of his deep, dark depressions that he came across the truth of Romans 3.25. And as a result of his consideration of this passage, he penned a song, Praise for the Fountain Opened. That's the name of it. It's a very famous song. And in fact, all of you know it. And all of you have sung it. You'll recognize it. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's face. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. 
And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. You know that song. What you don't know is that for many, many years it had a chorus. The way we sing it, you see, you, you sing the verse, and then the verse is the chorus. You repeat it. Then you sing the next verse, and you sing the verse. But it was originally written and published with the chorus. It goes like this. I do believe. I will believe that Jesus died for me. That on the cross he shed his blood from sin to set me free. I do believe. I will believe. Justified freely. Justified freely. That God would look at us as sinners and see all of our sin and yet forgive us of our sin and declare us justified, not guilty. Oh, there has to be more to it than just God saying that. And there is. So that God would be both just and the justifier of them that believe. God set forth Jesus Christ. As the propitiation for our sins, he paid the price. By his blood. And that price then is applied to my life and yours when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul said, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. You see, God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And what that means is that there is only one Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. There is only one propitiation and his name is Jesus Christ. God has set forth Jesus Christ and he is the Savior for the whole world. He's the Savior for the high and mighty folks. He's the Savior for the governmental folks. Somebody sent me a great question this week. He said, uh, pointed out, reminded me of the time when when, when Daniel uh, uh, greeted the king who had thrown him in the land and the lion's den, and he said to him, O king, live forever. The only way that king was going to live forever if he'd believe in God, trust in God. Daniel wanted the king that threw him in the lion's den to get saved. Who do we want to get saved? Do we have people in power that we want to get saved? I want to tell you, there is a Savior for people in power. There is a Savior for people who are under power. There, there's a Savior for those who are in, in great places. There's a Savior for those in the prison places. There's a Savior for the Caucasian people of the world. There's a Savior for the African people of the world. There's a Savior for the Oriental people of the world. There is one Savior for all the world. He is a Savior, Paul said. Of the whole world, especially of those that believe. You see, though, there is only one Savior, 
and he'll save everybody. He'll save anybody. He saves those only who believe on him. I call on you in this audience today and those of you watching from home to ask yourself the question, have I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you go back to that time in your life where you trusted him as your Savior, where you believed on him and you experienced that free pardon of sin in your life? You can today. It's not complicated. I've already told you that Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary for our sins. He died, was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose again the third day that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a simple message. Where you are sitting at home or where you are sitting in one of these pews, it doesn't matter. Same God. (laughs) He's not bound by time or space. Wherever you are, you can say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know you died for sinners. And I want to trust you as my Savior. You tell him that. And you ask him to be your Savior. He will. He will. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Maybe this morning we're kind of struggling in our Christian life and profession. Maybe we're kind of wondering about what I should do, what I shouldn't do. We're torn in a lot of directions. There's so much happening all around us. Listen, this is a time for God's people to lay hold on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about that man that wore that crown of thorns. That was nailed to that tree. You think about the hide that was stripped from his back blood that he shed there's nothing that will straighten our thinking out any faster than thinking about Christ Jesus set forth as a propitiation by his blood and thank God that I believed on him you believed on him when he saved you keep believing now same Jesus Same gospel. Let's pray together.